Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. They've produced some of the finest talent in Atlanta sports radio history. Get over it! Covered the best teams this city has to offer. Going to bed and taking a nap. And now, it's time to take their turn at the mic. It's time for the other side of the glass with Chris Thomas on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Now, here's Chris. Oh, what's up, Atlanta? That's right. It is time for the latest edition of The Other Side of the Glass. And tonight, we are going to fit a three-hour show into about an hour and a half. So we are going to be full rev nonstop because Army-Navy literally came down to the half-inch line. What a comeback by Navy. They fall just short, but it was an excellent game. Dukes and Bell were there. They will have a full recap for you on Monday. Can't wait to talk to the guys about their trip. If you want to see some pictures, go to at 92.9 The Game and at Dukes and Bell 929 on Twitter and Instagram. But we got to start with the biggest story in sports. And let's waste no time doing so as we head out to the waitfor.com hotline. Welcome in our buddy Michael Duarte from NBC LA. Michael, your first reaction when you heard 10 years, $700 million for Shohei Otani. My goodness. Yeah, my goodness. And, you know, I know we're short on time here with your show. It's like NASCAR. Everybody starts your engines. And, and that's kind of how our day started with the Shohei Otani news here on the West Coast. Uh, posting on Instagram at 12.05 Pacific time that he was joining the Dodgers, ending this free agency saga that had more twists and turns than a roller coaster ride in it, uh, taking down some of MLB's best journalists and reporters along the way with it. But to answer your question, Chris, I don't know if there's a company that can – come help pick up Jaws off the floor, but my jaw was on the floor when I saw that $700 million number. I mean, we had been talking, okay, maybe they're starting in the $450 million 10-year range. Then the reports were it would be north of half a billion dollars. I thought it could trickle up in around $600 million. Never in my wildest dreams did I think the final number would come in at $700 million. And according to a source, uh, I reached out to an executive with one of the teams who was the finalist for Otani, they never came close to that, that number. So the Dodgers definitely blew all the other teams out of the water. And I know most of this money that we're talking about, a lot of it is deferred money. But if you just looked at the $700 million divided by the 10 years to give you a $70 million annual average value, as they like to say, that number is more than the entire payroll of eight Major League Baseball teams right now and more than the Oakland A's payroll has been over the last decade uh, as far as the $700 million number. That's just a astonishing kind of numbers yeah it truly is astounding as we're chatting with michael duarte nbcla check out his work on twitter and instagram as well we'll get to the lakers in just a couple of minutes because they're playing in a pretty big basketball game tonight in about just a half hour from now but you hear the rumors now too michael that they could be involved in yamamoto too how could they possibly afford it well, they definitely could afford it. I mean, this is a team, I think, that was ranked 15th in total payroll before the Otani signing. So they had room 
to sign a lot. Obviously, Otani's going to take a chunk. I want to see what the CBT threshold number is for Otani. I'm hearing rumors it could be around 40 to 50 million for this upcoming 2024 season. Any way you cut it, that's a lot of money to, to pay for a DH only. Uh, and hopefully, Otani goes back to form as a pitcher in two, two, 2025 and can really help the Dodgers on both sides of the ball two ways. Um, but but to your point and to your question here, uh, I was told from sources close to Otani back in September before the season ended that you know the reason why he didn't want to play with another Japanese player when he came here six years ago was because he didn't want to take the attention. It's, it's actually a respect thing. A lot of people thought it was maybe arrogance or ego, but it was a respect to the other Japanese players out there that he didn't want to take away the attention, the limelight. He didn't want all the journalists in the clubhouse to come flock to him, leaving the other Japanese player on the team without anyone around them. And so that was the reason then. I haven't been told that his stance has changed at all. I know Yamamoto kind of put it out there that he would like to play with another Japanese player. So at this point, I still think the Yankees and Mets are the front runners to land Yamamoto. I know Yamamoto is a longtime Dodgers fan. He was at a Lakers game I was at here a couple weeks ago. So I'm sure he'd love to play for the Dodgers. That's just going to be if Otani's willing to change his tune as far as playing with another Japanese player. And my hope would be that World Baseball Classic uh, at the beginning of last season, last year, in which Yamamoto and Otani played together and sat closed that final game against Team USA together. Um, that maybe that changed Otani's stance and maybe he'd be willing to pay to play with him because the Dodgers definitely need starting pitching help and Yamamoto's the best on the board. So everything I'm hearing and reading is that even though the number's astronomical between the deferred payments and then what he's going to bring from an international icon perspective that a lot of people are saying that as unbelievable as it could sound that this contract might actually pay for itself. Yeah. And that's, and only Artie Marino, the, owner of the angels who absolutely failed in catastrophic catastrophic fashion by not being able to get Otani to the postseason by having arguably two of the best players in baseball history and Otani and trout for the last six years and not even playing in one playoff game. Um, but he knows that number. I was told from sources that there, that Marino would easily be able to pay Otani 600 million over 10 years bef- before the free agency began, because he knows the value he brings in is bigger than that. So let's start right off the bat NHK, which is, Uh, a broadcasting company out in Japan, they're going to be paying big money for the Dodgers broadcasting rights for the Otani, for Otani and to to record, to to broadcast all these games, these Dodger games now in Japan. That number could be, depending on how long of a deal they do, let's say they do it for the full 10 years, that could be over a billion dollars just there to help it pay for itself. Now you're going to have Japanese companies, whether it's a beer company, whether it's a, a fellow broadcast company, whether it's, uh, clothing apparel or food, whatever it may be, they're going to want in on the Otani action. So they're going to be wanting to come in and be exclusive partners with the Dodgers. They're going to want their, their imaging and logo and company brand all over Dodger Stadium. This is how it's going to pay for it. And then obviously you have the merchandise deals and everything that's going to be flying off the shelves. I already have fans lining up to, to get Otani jerseys. I can see on MLB.com's uh, team store website the jerseys are already selling out and backloaded for arrival so wow. uh, he's going to definitely pay for himself over the, the the duration of this deal talking all things Dodgers we'll get to the Lakers in a second too as Otani if you missed it 10 years 700 million dollars it's it's never going to get comfortable to say that out loud into a microphone but we'll be doing it from day on and day on from this point forth after that mega contract all right so when you look at it actually on the field as you mentioned he's obviously not going to pitch this year the hope is he comes back as a frontline starter 
The Dodgers do have some more holes to fill, but how does he uh, flesh out this lineup? You, you can argue the top three is maybe the best ever assembled in baseball with Mookie, Freddie, and now Otani. Yeah, and, you know, there was a lot of people talking about, especially yesterday, that the Blue Jays were, uh, you know, a finalist for Otani, and maybe he was on a plane. I've never seen more people track a private jet uh, in my life to, to only find out it was Robert from Shark Tank on it, not Shohei Otani. But um, I think the Blue Jays needed to make a move because obviously Juan Soto going to the Yankees in that trade from the West Coast here in San Diego and Southern California to the Bronx kind of tilted the balance of power a little bit. And we were looking at this lineup in New York of, you know, Aaron Judge, Juan Soto, John Carlos Stanton, and now the Dodgers here on the West Coast have something to rival that with their own big three, three as you just mentioned, Mookie Betts, uh, probably starting in the leadoff spot. Shohei Otani, I would assume, slots into two. And then the Dodgers sometimes like to go lefty-righty, so you could see Will Smith maybe bumping up to three and Freddie Freeman batting cleanup, or maybe they're going to keep Freddie Freeman in the two or three hole. But wherever they, whatever they do decide to do with the lineup, that is going to be a stacked offensive lineup. Uh, now they just need to get the pitching help like we talked about, whether it's Yamamoto or Blake Snell or Ty Montgomery. I know they've been in talks with Dylan Cease from Chicago. They're interested in Tyler Glasnow from the Tampa Rays if he becomes available. And obviously Corbin Burns if the Brewers want to make a trade for him in the final year of his deal. So uh, either way, the Dodgers need to get some pitching around it. But this, this might be the greatest offensive lineup we've seen um, from top to bottom when, when Otani's going to be on there. My only question will be, if and when he returns to the mound in 2025, how long can he continue to be a two-way player performing at a high level, top five in ERA, strikeouts, whip, uh, while also top five in batting average, home runs, slugging percentage along those numbers? I don't know. We've never really seen it before. I'm not going to put it past him. But even the Dodgers believe, you know, maybe by the tail end of this contract, as he reaches his mid to late 30s, maybe he becomes an offensive player only at that time. That's something I'm going to be interested in seeing as just as far as how long Otani will be able to remain on the mound. My prediction is, Michael, and uh, we'll switch to the NBA coming up here in just a second, is he's going to be their closer midway through this contract. He's going to pull a John Smoltz, and he's going to have an extended career as a pitcher on the back end, a lot less wear and tear, and you can play him multiple nights in a row, and they'll be able to maximize the value that way. But we'll put about a five-year pin in that conversation, and we'll revisit it then. Hopefully we're both still working in the industry at that point. So let's switch to this in-season tournament, Michael, because you've now got to witness it pillar to post because the Lakers have obviously made the finals. First of all, what have just been your overall reactions to the tournament? Yeah, so a couple quick things I'm going to say. The Dodgers' current closer, Evan Phillips, um, he, he spoke to me earlier. He said that the players on the Dodgers went crazy in the group chat once he was signed. So it's funny you brought up that maybe he'll close one day because their current closer was, was messaging me back and forth just saying how the entire team in the group chat was going crazy, sending gifts earlier today. And now we'll segue to the Lakers because uh, I was speaking with Darvin Ham here. I'm actually here in Vegas. I'll be here live for the game, this final in-season tournament. Uh, we spoke to Darvin Hammond. Somebody asked him what he thought of the Otani deal, and he just shook his head, $700 million. He couldn't believe that number. Here they are, the Lakers, playing for 500000 each. Players and staff, if they win today, and you have Otani signing for $700 million. But what I'll say about this in-season tournament to your question is, uh, I think LeBron James and the Lakers have used this as an opportunity to kind of get healthy at the right time and try to play some meaningful games here in November and December on the Tuesdays and Fridays that can actually help them come May, June when they're in the postseason, when they need to be able to ramp it up and flip that switch 
uh, in the playoffs and try to get over that hump, which is the Denver Nuggets in the Western Conference, and try to win another championship here for the Lakers. It would be a record-breaking championship if they were to do that, passing the Celtics. So I think they've enjoyed this. I think they've enjoyed the competition. Obviously, the Pacers have as well. We have two undefeated teams here in the final. I think it couldn't have gone any better for the NBA. The ratings are up. We have these crazy new courts. We have these beautiful new jerseys that I know fans have been gobbling up in Los Angeles with the, the odes to the old-school Minneapolis Lakers. So... Uh, it's been really exciting and it's been fun to cover as a journalist as well. Like I said, here I am in Vegas. I usually wouldn't be making these trips in early December. All right. Last one before I let you go, how can you possibly explain what LeBron James is doing at this point in his career? I'm so glad you brought this up because I was just telling LeBron the other day, we were talking about his new insanity celebration where he spins his fingers over his head, but LeBron James, I like to call him his new nickname, He'll keep the King moniker for all time. I like to call him Daylight Savings Time because he is turning back the clock in his age 20, 21st season already. And I think it's a little jumping the gun, but already journalists, my colleagues are talking about early MVP talks for LeBron James. But that aside, it's way too early for that conversation. But LeBron James averaging close to 25 points per game in his 21st season. The second on that list was Vince Carter in his 21st season, averaging 7.4 points per game. And then Dirk Nowitzki and Robert Parrish at 7-3, and respectively. Kevin Garnett, who I saw here in the semifinal, averaged three points in his 21st season. What LeBron's doing is unbelievable. And talking to him after that quarterfinal win over the Suns, it was a great quote. Obviously, we saw all these Father Time Nike commercials with Jason Momoa last year. He said, yeah, I know Father Time is undefeated, but I'm trying to hand him his first loss. And I thought that was a great quote from the King. All right, Michael, appreciate it. Enjoy the game. Enjoy, enjoy this upcoming couple of weeks in your city, my friend. It's going to be absolutely bonkers. Check him out on Twitter and Instagram, Michael Duarte, NBCLA. Appreciate the time as always, my friend. Yeah, thank you. Have a great show. All right, that is Michael Duarte, longtime friend of mine, dating back to my days as the executive producer for After Hours with Amy Lawrence. Michael on the West Coast was always good enough to pop on with us, and now he does so with me here in the A, bringing you all the latest on two of the biggest stories of the day. Shohei Otani, 10 years, $700 million, going to the Dodgers. Braves fans, uh, you think Double A is uh, maybe working the phones late into the evening on a Saturday night now? Uh, I hope so. Let's put it that way, because I don't think uh, Aaron Bummer and Ronaldo Lopez is exactly going to cover to counter a uh, Shohei Otani signing. All right, when we get back, the Falcons play a pretty big game tomorrow. Joe Patrick's going to stop by, break it down for us. Don't go anywhere. Sports Radio, 99 The Game, Odyssey app. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Back to Chris. This is the other side of the glass. (laughs) On Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. 
We're calling this the NASCAR package edition of the other side of the glass here on Sports Radio 929 The Game. We are fitting in a three-hour show into less than an hour and a half of time. And we're going to do so as we continue on the WadeFord.com hotline. Welcome in our buddy Joe Patrick, our Falcons reporter here for 92.9 The Game. Joe, how are you? Chris, I'm good, man. I'm good. It's been, you know, I'm just waiting for tomorrow. Yeah, I, I don't blame you, man. So am I. This is a huge one. Before we dive into the Falcons, where were you when you saw the news? You covered baseball for a long time. Ten mm. years. $700 million for Shohei Otani. What was your reaction? Man, I, my reaction was, I, honestly, I wasn't that surprised that he got, I mean, obviously everyone was expecting a massive deal. And for me, it's not like $500 million, uh, contract for $500 million is about the same to me in terms of the shock value as, as $700 million is. But I just, you know, the more I looked at it, it's just, that's going to be, I mean, obviously it's big news for the Dodgers and, you know, the money is going to work itself out, I guess, in terms of, um, you know, them bringing in revenue for, from his international status and global, uh, you know, appeal and brand and all that stuff. But still, as far as, you know, it goes with the, the league and having, you know, passing like the, the, the luxury taxes and things like that, that is going to be one heck of a contract to deal with, especially at the end of it, especially if he's deferring, you know, undisclosed amount of money, but it sounds like a lot of that's getting deferred onto that second half. It's not like he's a spring change. He's 29 years old. He's going to be, he's signed to his year 39 season. And, you know, we hear it all the time that, you know, you basically, there's no baseball player in history who hasn't had their bat speed start to decrease, you know, in their mid thirties and, you know, all that stuff. Will he be pitching for them? Will his speed be as much of a factor at that point? So, Man, it's going to be hefty, but, you know, and the other thing is, Chris, you know, the Dodgers had a superstar team when the Braves beat them, when the Braves kind of snuck in uh, with 88 wins to win the NL East and then went on to win the World Series. So I'm just look, very much looking forward to some guys, some some bullpen arms that we don't even know the names of at this point in time are, you know, striking out Dodgers in late October to beat them in an NLCS. Yeah, double-A got Aaron Bummer for a reason. Uh, that's, that's, that's right. That's for sure, Joe. All right, let's move on to the Falcons here. Some good news today. It looks like uh, we'll get A.J. back, huh? Yeah, I mean, the Falcons needed some good news on the injury front, and I, I guess they got it. That's going to help, obviously, especially when you're going up against a guy like Mike Evans, who, you know, is quietly just having himself like a no-doubt, like first-ballot Hall of Fame career. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I still am a little bit worried for this team considering the injury situation, but obviously having AJ come back, uh, in the concussion protocol and listen, like, yeah, while he was in the, in the protocol, he seemed to be moving fine and looking fine to me when I watched him at practice. And he's basically, since that concussion happened at the very beginning of the game, he basically has, you know, a game's, you know, one game's less worth of wear and tear on his body after last week, although obviously he had this concussion he was dealing with, which is no, you know, nothing to snirk at. But, um, you know, it's good for the Falcons. They'll, they'll certainly need him, and I imagine that with the lack of pass rush, they'll probably be getting because of their issues on the defensive line. Uh, A.J. Terrell's services will very much be uh, of need come tomorrow. How, if at all, does McGarry being out, Dalman being not 100% affect their offensive game plan, or does it? You know, I, I think that with, with Dalman, it will be interesting to see if Vita Vea goes because, you know, Vita Vea is questionable going into tomorrow's game, and he's obviously massive to what Tampa Bay wants to do on their own defensive line and with how they go about 
stopping the run. I mean, he's kind of that guy. He's, I don't know how heavy he is off the top of my head, but he looks like he's about 350 pounds, just leans on you, you know, and makes the game hard. And if you don't have a good base under you, like Drew Dahlman dealing with an ankle injury, then I imagine that, that that's going to be tough for him. Uh, but we'll see how that goes. Vita Bay has not practiced this week at all. So I think that that questionable status is, is truly questionable. We do not know if he will play. And it will certainly be great news for the Falcons if, if he will be out. But this is a huge game for the Buccaneers. Like, you remember a couple of weeks ago when the Falcons were playing the Saints coming off that bye week, we were talking about how it really was a make-or-break game for the Falcons, you know, with their season on the line going into that game. That's what this game is for the Bucs. If the Bucs win this game, they're obviously right in it. They're actually going to take the division lead uh, because of, like, the third or fourth tiebreaker um, for the time being. But if they lose it, they're basically out <laughs> because then the Falcons will own all the tiebreakers um, and have these, this massive game lead on them with min- minimal games left. So, you know, I think that they're going to try to get Vea out there if at all possible. And on the right, on that right tackle spot with Storm Norton, I got to be honest with you, Chris, like when Storm Norton has come into games this year, I haven't really noticed, honestly. And that's not just because they both are, <laughs> he and Caleb McGarry are both like super tall, like long blonde haired kind of guys. Like it's just, you know, it's not been a great year for Caleb McGarry so far. And Storm Norton has seem to put in, you know, some, some decent performances when he's been called upon. So I'm not as concerned, uh, but you never know. You never know when, you know, especially when you're playing on the edge of an offensive line, whether, you, you know, you just a, the guy, a guy of opposite you can get the best of you one day, and that can cause major problems for the team. But I'm more kind of not concerned. I do think Dolman's going to play, but I'm just concerned, interested to see how he's able to perform with that, with that ankle he's been dealing with. Talking all things Falcons, Bucks with our buddy Joe Patrick here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Chris Thomas hanging out with you until 9 o'clock. Our good buddy Caleb Johnson jumps on with you then. All right, you mentioned the defensive line issues. Obviously, no Grady, no David Onyemata. How do you make up for that? Do you think they're going to send more guys, maybe a couple more house blitzes? What do you think the strategy is there to sort of evade them just running down your throat? Yeah, maybe, but I think, Chris, the other thing, the other guy who's not going to be playing this week, and when it comes to stopping the run, he's maybe most important of all, is Nate Lamon, the guy who came in for Troy Anderson, and basically as soon as he kind of came on the scene, yes, he doesn't have, have some limitations as, as far as pass coverage goes, but as far as stopping the run, it's turned the Falcons into one of the best run defenses in all of the NFL. In fact, at least as of a week or two ago, PFF had the Falcons as the number one graded uh, team in the NFL at stopping the run. And obviously, Nate Lamon plays a huge part of that, and he's going to be out too. So they're certainly going to have their issues. I guess the good news for the Falcons is that this Tampa Bay team has not been very good at running ball. I would say that they actually got things going on the ground a little bit against the Falcons in week seven, where prior to that, they've really been like super anemic uh, trying to run the ball. And honestly, when you look at their skill, like with, with their playmakers, who they have, they want to put the ball in the air with the guys like Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, who we already mentioned. But you do have to obviously stop the run. It's going to be tough. You're going to be relying on guys like, um, you know, Timmy Horn, Taquan Graham. You're basically looking at like the interior of the defensive line that you had last season without Grady Jarrett, who's the, the, the best one, obviously, on that offensive line. So it's going to be tough. You're going to need some guys who are able to step in. Andre Smith Jr., uh, also a linebacker, who's probably going to be stepping in for Nate Flamin a lot. I would watch out, though, for this team to play a lot of their nickel looks and maybe even their dime looks with a lot of defensive backs. Play Richie Grant. They've been This team has been using a lot of three safety looks, and Richie Grant's a more bigger physical body you can kind of put in the box that could help. Uh, against the run. And then the thing that I'm wondering about with this defensive line, 
if we're talking about the nickel looks is do they use Calais Campbell more inside? That's obviously something he did a lot earlier in his career. One of the kind of, you know, conversations they had about him coming to Atlanta was he was going to be used on the edge. And they certainly believe that he is kind of an edge player in Ryan Nielsen's system. But you do wonder if maybe for this one game, they ask him, hey, can you slide inside a little bit more? Because he is such a great talent at, at stopping the run. And let's be clear, his body, like he, he's kind of, you know, developed his body going into this year as an edge player to be a little bit leaner as a guy that, that is going to be, you know, accustomed to be playing out there as opposed to earlier in his career when he's maybe a little bit, you know, stockier and bulked up a little bit to play on the inside. But I still think he could do a job there. And I think that we will probably see him take more snaps on the interior of the defensive line than we have seen him so far this season. On the offensive side, Joe, we know that a lot was made over the past couple of weeks of Arthur Smith alluding in some comments, not saying definitively, but sort of, all of us reading in between the lines that Kyle Pitts still may not be 100%. What did you see from him this week in practice, and where do you think he's at right now in terms of regaining that form of being a focal point of the offense? Honestly, Chris, I wish I had better news for people. Like, I wish I had – I could say, like, yeah, this is going to be the week where he breaks out and is, like, you know, not just running past players. I th- actually don't think that that's as much of the issue for him right now with the knee – it seems to me it's more of the, the uh, short-distance cutting ability. That's the kind of thing that we saw him doing a lot in his rookie year, like, you know, little whip routes or getting the ball out into the flat real quick where he can get it and turn, get up the field and go. And we're just not kind of seeing that same burst out of him in some of those situations. And so I don't think that that's necessarily coming back this season. Like, we haven't seen it so far, um, and we're probably not going to. Now, if you want to look at a, a reference point to, so, you know, you can step away from the cliff a little bit, you know, he obviously was dealing with these issues uh, against the Texans in week five and the Falcons used him in a lot of like sail routes where he's kind of going out towards the sideline and not having it kind of doing more rounded off routes where he's not having to make these quick cuts and they were able to find him a lot. So I'm not saying that he's like necessarily going to have a bad game or anything. I just wouldn't expect to, see a player that's drastically different than what frankly we've seen basically this entire season. And, you know, it's tough as a tight end. You're, you're, you're asked to do a lot. You're at the physical position. You're getting beat up. And I'm sure that there's been some games where he's felt a little bit better and some games where he's felt a little bit worse, especially like last week when you're out in the rain and the cold up there in the Meadowlands. But um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't consider, I, I honestly, for me, Chris, this feels like more of a Drake London game for me. Like, like this feels like, a game where Ritter's got to connect with London. He has been his number one target kind of consistently uh, since Ritter has come into the fold as a team starting quarterback. And you've got to hope that that tandem can then maybe propel uh, Kyle Pitts to get some, some easier looks uh, where he can get the ball, uh, Ritter can get him the ball in space. Okay, here's my concern, though, with Drake London. He has two touchdowns on the season. And in yeah. his last one, two, three, for five games, he's had over 60 yards receiving once. So what's going yeah. on there? Well, a few of those games were with Terrell Heineke <laughs> at quarterback. That's uh, true. Since Desmond Ritter has been the starting quarterback, they've had a pretty good connection. Now, now the touchdown passes thing is is real. and uh, I, But I think that that's kind of a, an issue, just generally speaking, with this offense. Like, we're not seeing a lot of touchdown passes in general. Like, I think Arthur Smith is kind of joked, like, Scotty Miller is uh, one of his, like, red zone, uh, you know, red zone weapons. He's been catching, like, I think 25% of his catches so far this year uh, are touchdowns. But it's just – and I don't know if that's 
purely by circumstance, if that is a flaw with Ritter or with the receivers or with the passing game um, or what the deal is, or, or if they're maybe just you know, more effective in you know, running the ball when they get down to that area. We've seen them be pretty effective with some of the zone read stuff they do as long as they're able to hold on to the ball. Um, <clears throat> talking about Desmond Ritter there. Uh, and with Bijan, obviously, in the passing game, he's caught a few, a few touchdowns so far this year. So they have weapons they can't go to, but you're right. Like Pitts, Ritter, or uh, 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 Drake London, you would think that these would be your, like, primary kind of red zone targets, weapon type guys, but we just have not seen that be the case really these last couple of years. All right, before I let you go, a couple of news and notes on the Atlanta United front. Looks like there was a big transaction that went down this week. And then give me sort of your overall thoughts on where this team is headed next season because it seems like they started to gain some momentum towards the end of the year, but between the international breaks and sort of getting trounced in the playoffs, some of that air was let out of the balloon a little bit. Yeah, they did. I mean, they made progress in the second half of the year, and I think that that's credit to Garth Lagerway and some of the transactions, the, the, the signings that they made. Uh, in the in the secondary transfer window in the middle of the season, basically kind of like the transfer deadline. Basically, the way it works in soccer is from it opens up for a month where you're basically able to sign players, and they signed some really good players that help them. Uh, and one of them will be coming back permanently. He was initially signed on loan, John De Silva, uh, on the left wing. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, he's the one who he put on a Spider-Man mask after he scored a goal in the playoffs. Uh, that was kind of fun, but. I mean, he's been an effective winger, which this team has desperately needed. Um, they've really, you know, they, they've not uh, been, it's not been for lack of trying or spending on the team's part, but they haven't been able to find the players to have been effective. But John De Silva is one of those guys, and he was one of those guys who was brought in uh, halfway through last year that helped that propel them to some success in the back half. So I think that they are on the right trajectory. Last, listen, last season was the season of eating the crap sandwich from the, the budget, the way that things had kind of stacked up, very much like the Falcons had to do last year where they just had to take a year where you just eat a bunch of cap, basically. And now the LA United is finally at the point where they can continue to build. And they have pieces on, the, on, on which to build upon. So it's not like they've got to build an entire team. Um, obviously, there's going to be some things that happen with Thiago Amada. I would be surprised if he's on this team to start next season, to be perfectly honest. Uh, and that will be a key guy to replace. But I think that this team, with Garth Lagerway at the helm, he's got Carlos Bocanegra working a lot more efficiently. They've really bulked up the kind of scouting department, the data analytics in the front office, and that, I think, is going to set the team on a really solid, uh, you know, solid ground for the years to come. All right, Joe, appreciate you, man, as always. A little later than usual, but, hey. Yeah, that's all right. Our Army-Navy was a good game, and we got to experience well, it all of it, all of it right here right, on Sports right. Radio 929. Well, I'll, I'll be on with Caleb later, too, hey, so people can get some more of it. There How we, about that? There we go. So you, so you, it won't be beer o'clock for you until, like, 10 p.m., <laughs> and then you got a couple uh, of it games. Might be. It, 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 might, it might be, but just don't tell anyone. All right. Well, it's, it's only me, you, and the listening <laughs> audience. Who cares? All right, Joe. That's that's appreciate that. you, man. All right, that is our buddy Joe Patrick there on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Again, I guess if you want to hear more of Joe, he'll be popping on with our guy Caleb Johnson in just a little bit. So if you missed any of that conversation, even more reason for you to listen. All right, I guess we got to talk about the Hawks, huh? Oof. All right, we'll do it next. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game, Odyssey app.